and welcome to Humanities Centered, a podcast that explores research in the arts and humanities at Carleton College. I'm Clara Hardy, the director of the Humanities Center, and today I'm talking to Alex Nodell, Associate Professor of Classics and Director of the Archaeology Program, along with two of his student research partners, MJ Fielder-Jelsey and Sam Weggie. Both MJ and Sam are senior classics majors and archaeology minors, and both have worked with Alex on his small Cycladic Islands project since the summer after their first year at Carleton. I started by asking Alex if he could give us some context for their work. Yeah, so the three of us last summer were working on a project in Greece called the Small Cycladic Islands Project. And this project is a uh, international collaboration with the effort of antiquities of the Cyclades in Greece um, and the Norwegian Institute in Athens. So it's a three-way collaboration between these two entities and Carleton and I co-direct it with my colleagues Dimitris Athanasoulis and Zarko Tankasich. So we've been working on this project since 2019 uh, during the summers and the, the goal is to do a bunch of targeted archaeological surface surveys of tiny little uninhabited islands across the Cyclades. So we kind of um, are systematically walking over the surface of each island and uh, counting and collecting archaeological materials as we go, both things like portable finds, so pottery and stone tools, um, but also documenting architectural remains. And by doing a bunch of these tiny little surveys of these tiny little currently uninhabited islands, we get um, a, a broad picture of what people were doing in these mostly marginal and forgotten places um, across the region as a whole. So um, Sam and MJ worked with you last summer, and you guys want to talk a little bit about the specifics of what you did? At the front end, um, we did a lot of this surveying that Alex mentioned, um, which really consists of getting up in the morning and hopping on a boat, boating out to these tiny islands and um, walking across them, seeing what we find. Um, one thing that's exciting about that is these islands really are small, so we can get to a lot of them and you never really know when you step foot off the boat exactly what's going to be there that day. Um, but so really the front end of things is doing a lot of this field walking, um, you know, surveying, featuring, and uh, just recording everything that we see and collecting what we can. Okay, hang on. Can you explain featuring? So featuring is um, like these non-portable um, things that we find we call features, um, often like human-built structures, uh, or just really big things that we can't carry back to analyze after the fact. So um, oftentimes there's a team, uh, glamorously called the featuring team, who goes around from feature to feature and records them in the field. MJ, do you have anything to add to that? What What other kinds of exciting day-to-day yeah. -day activities <laughs> were you involved um. in? Yeah, the other big thing that Sam and I do is uh, we work with the database of the project. So when we get back from a day in the field, um, we have all of our documentation of like what we found, what we saw, what we picked up. Um, and we have a lot of photos of those things as well. And so all of that gets put into a much larger database. Um, and so Sam and I kind of run that side. Um, 
getting everything into the database at the end of the day or the next day. Um, and then also, once we sort of finish our fieldwork part of the season, um, we're also involved in the cataloging of the finds where we sit down and actually look at everything we have and date it and see if we can figure out its use or its function or, you know, those sorts of things. So then we're also involved in essentially scribing all of that into the database and uploading the photos. <laughs> One thing that's really fun about this type of project, re regional surveys in general, um, in Greece especially, but also, you know, many different places, is when you're when you're doing this field work and you're out exploring these landscapes, you don't control what you find. So you end up dealing with things from all different periods for all the different all different uses, and that really allows you to uh, put together what what we tend to refer to as a, a diachronic picture of um, different types of activities that are going on in different landscapes through time. Uh, so you get a, a really sort of long term view. Um, and in, in areas like this, it's especially important because, you know, these are, are places that are sort of left out of historical narratives. They're, they're uninhabited now. They, they never kind of saw high profile, let's say, types of activities. So we're seeing things like, you know, everyday practices, whether that's agriculture or um, animal husbandry. You know, we see we, some of these are referred to often as goat islands. Uh, which is a very popular term for, for these places. Um, but also, you know, things like small-scale defensive structures, if places are being used for, um, you know, refuge or, or in some kind of defensive network. So what kind of picture did you feel emerged, or maybe it's too early for you to say that, of the, the kind of historical use of these tiny uninhabited islands? Did, did it vary a lot from one to the next, or were there sort of regional um, patterns that, that emerged? What, did you get, start getting that kind of a sense? I think it varies a lot from island to island, but one sort of consistent pattern we do see are patterns of extended periods of use and disuse. So any given island may be occupied or utilized um, for a few hundred years and then uh, abandoned for a few hundred years in sort of fluctuating periods of occupation. Now, which few hundred years this is, can change from island to island. Broadly speaking, I don't think there's much pattern to it beyond the fact that many of these islands were used for periods of time and not used for periods of time. Yeah, it's sort of inconsistent incidental occupation of uh -huh. these places across across the long term. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, there are patterns that make sense in certain areas that, that can be identified, um, but that don't show up in other uh, small islands. So that's the kind of inconsistent part of it. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So the, the two main areas are the western Cyclades, for, so Kythnos, Seraphos, and Sipnos. Um, and then a little bit east of that and to the north is, is Syros, where we also did some work. And that was all work that we did um, in 2021, this past summer. And then 2019 and 2020, we were working in uh, the islets around Paros and Antiparos. In general, um, how isolated are these islands? Like in the ancient world or pre-modern world, 
how long would it have taken people to get there from uh, an inhabited area? Are they just like a day's sail away or five minute swim or what? So there are basically two types. Um, one is just offshore little islets that tend to be very close to larger inhabited islands. Uh, and the other type is a little bit more remote. And those are the ones that um, Sam and MJ have been working on in the context of their comps project. So maybe they can say a bit that type. Yeah, so for my comps, um, I chose uh, one of the uh, smaller and more remote islands um, from this 2021 summer. Um, and then basically I'm analyzing it um, starting at the level of just the raw archaeological data that we found. What did we collect? What can we determine? What can it tell us about how this island was used? And then moving to a slightly larger scale of what is going on around this island during the time periods represented in our finds. And like, do these patterns that I'm finding in this data on this island make sense with what's going on around the island? Like MJ, I'm uh, taking sort of a multi-scalar approach um, although instead of looking at one island across all its periods of occupation, I'm looking at three different islands, um, all in the Hellenistic period. And all three of these islands do have some tower or other built on them. Um, and so I'm, I'm taking a look at these three towers on these three islands um, and trying to figure out, trying to figure out um, what they were used for, who, who may be responsible for them, um, and sort of just what, what we can learn about the islands and uh, the broader region from these constructions. Can, can we zoom out a little bit in terms of your sense of, uh, of where you would like to go with this work in the future? Or are you guys thinking that this was good pre-professional experience? Yeah, I think that... Uh, this has a lot of merit, uh, first in the sense of like pre-professional work. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Um, but also, um, I guess for me, at least you just, like I learned a lot just about like, I don't know, getting to work on a team in a professional setting, but also in the sense that like, this was a job that as a kid, I was like, oh, that'd be so fun. And then I got to see it in action. I got to actually, you know, do it. And then I was like, oh, wow, this is something that that I could do. So uh, that being said, um, yeah, I do hope to uh, pursue grad school for archaeology in the future and move on to basically do Alex's job. <laughs> I think, too, for me, um, being able to go and spend the last almost three years working on this project um, and then come back and sort of look at look at the work we've done and use data that I've been a part of collecting and analyzing for my comps um, has been really valuable for me as I'm looking to step next into archaeology or classics grad school. It's really helping to prepare me um, to know some of the more technical things about the field, about doing high-level work in the field, um, but also more broadly, how to, uh, you know, work on a project I've never really done that sort of work for. Yeah, it's really about stepping out of your comfort zone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, 
being like, yeah, I'll, I'll get on a plane and go to Greece and attempt this thing I've never done. Sure. And now, you know. Walk through the thorns on islands. and Exactly. Yeah. And now, yeah, now we're seniors getting to use this data and this project that we've poured so much time and energy and love into and makes the comps process more fun and also a little more stressful. <laughs> For me, that kind of continuity through three years of working with the same students meant that, you know, they've developed certain skills at a pretty high level. Uh, they're, they're super reliable and know what needs to be done without too much guidance. Um, and also they're now, now they're doing the kind of real, uh, research and analysis and, and kind of crunching of the data to, to put out super meaningful, you know, original outputs in the context of their comps projects. And, and that's great for the project, of course, but it's also just great for archaeology. I mean, they're making kind of real original contributions to the field, which is fantastic. Already kind of overturning, you know, some assumptions that uh, we had about Piperi being kind of abandoned and out of the way. And the original assumption was that not much would have been happening on this place. But <laughs> MJ's shown that, in fact, there, there is quite a lot that's gone on in, in several different periods. And um, on, on Sam's side, he's kind of overturned our assumption that all these towers that are, uh, well, that we thought were indivisible and part of the same network were in fact probably all built under different circumstances and, um, you know, political or individual authorities. So, um, Alex, can you just say a tiny bit more about um, the scope of the Small Islands project and how much longer you uh, expect to be in the field with it? Yeah, so so we've done three years of field work at this point, and we have two more planned. So far, we've done uh, the small islands around Parison and Diparos, which are in the center of the Cyclades, and then, as we said, this kind of western string uh, of Kithnos, Seraphos, and, and Sipnos, um, and then kind of Syros arcing around to the north. So in the next two seasons, we hope to kind of round out the western side by uh, doing some more work, um, or not some more work, some new work on the islets around Milos, which is really important for its mineral resources, most famously obsidian, which we find um, on many of the small islands in which we're working, including all around the Cyclades. And then the other sort of group of islands that we are going to deal with in the second phase of the project are around Andres, Tinos, and Mykonos. And so together, this gives us a sort of solid block from the central Cyclades, uh, encompassing the western Cyclades, and then going up to the north toward um, Attica and Euboea. What this kind of allows us to do is, is give a whole new regional picture of the northern and western Cyclades uh, and kind of told from the perspective of places that are usually left out of that narrative and usually left out of broader historical narratives. And kind of what we're finding, um, you know, we're, as Sam and MJ have said, we've already noticed some patterns, these patterns of incidental occupation that's not always consistent across many different time periods. Um, we've also seen in general that these types of places tend to be, you know, used by people for, uh, either kind of one of two reasons, or let's say maybe not only these two reasons, but these two reasons tend to be popular ones. Number one for their nodality, that is their, their ability to kind of function as a node in a wider network 
and being in kind of a strategic position to do that. Thing number two would be for the kind of selective marginality that they afford. These kind of geographical circumstances provide opportunities for people to be, to, to take themselves or their activities, the things that they're doing, uh, away from what's going on in larger inhabited areas, whether that's kind of putting their animals out in a place where um, their animals will be secluded and other people can't get to them, the animals can't go anywhere, um, or if it's for kind of creating a, a place of refuge or simply, you know, exploiting some agricultural land that nobody else wants to deal with because it's hard to get to, right? But but it's available. Um, so that this, these kinds of affordances of nodality on the one hand and selective marginality on the other have been um, patterns that we've been seeing again and again. In the Thank you so much uh, to all three of you. It was, it was fascinating. Uh, and I look forward to reading your comps project and seeing more about Alex's work in the future. Thanks, Claire. Thanks, Thank Claire. you, Claire. Thanks for listening to Humanities Centered. You can learn more about the Small Cycladic Islands Project at smallcycladicislandsproject.org where you'll find a map of the island surveyed and some wonderful photographs of the team at work over the last three summers. You can find out more about student research partnerships and other programs supported by Carleton's Humanity Center at www.carleton.edu humanities. This podcast is a production of the Carleton Humanity Center and is edited by me, Clara Hardy, with original music by Will Hardy. Thanks, as always, to the Humanity Center Advisory Board for their helpful suggestions and support. You can subscribe to Humanity Centered wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.